SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. That's quite a wrap you're wearing. Perhaps I could get you some fluffy new slippers made from the heads of innocent and defenseless baby seals. Who is this ghastly man? Ace Ventura, pet detective. And you must be the Monopoly guy. Hi, this is Matt Bradley Shergi, host of Sequel Cast 2. Um, this Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls uh, episode of the podcast, uh, Thrasher and I recorded the whole episode, and then my side of the call didn't record properly. So um, what we're going to do this episode is a bit different. I'll give my own thoughts on Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, and then I'll cobble together Thrasher's thoughts from our conversation, because surely you would not want to hear a one-sided podcast with the gaps of silence that would just be awkward. Uh, next week we'll be looking at Ace Ventura uh, Junior Pet Detective, and um, that'll be you know back to the regular scheduled program. Again, apologies, but these technical issues do happen. So without further ado, here's uh, my thoughts on Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. This came out you know just a year after the uh, original Ace Ventura Pet Detective um, in '95, and. This was a, a huge movie this year, and Jim Carrey as uh, Ace Ventura, as you can tell, it, it's not in the city anymore from the poster. It says, New Animals, New Adventures, Same Hair. It shows him on top of two uh, crocodiles. This takes place in an African country. Uh, it's directed by Steve Odekirk and written by him as well, and he did um, work with Jim Carrey on In Living Color. He did some uncredited uh, polishing on the script for Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And so it sort of makes sense. He kind of jumped into it and did a bigger thing with the sequel. Um, this was wildly successful. Why we never got a third movie with Ace Ventura, uh, with Jim Carrey's Ace Ventura, is, is unclear. But Jim Carrey really doesn't like to do a lot of sequels. Um, you know, other than Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, the other only other sequel that came to mind that he did was Dumb and Dumber-er, which uh, came out several years after the original. So he's... Uh, He's choosy about his movies, but um, in some ways, you know, this part in, in the mid-90s is when Jim Carrey was like the super-duper famous because he went from Ace Ventura to Dumb and Dumber to Batman Forever and, and all this stuff. So, anyhow, this movie begins with a parody of, uh, of Cliff Hainer, where it's Ace is on a helicopter and he, uh, there's one lone raccoon that he, he needs to rescue. And uh, just like the movie Cliff Hainer with Sylvester Stallone, which is a really funny movie, which it had a sequel so we could talk about it, um, he has to go uh, travel across this um, sort of metal rope with the guy, hold, with the raccoon holding on to him, and he, he's climbing, you know, upside down, hand over hand, going across, and uh, but much like, uh, just like the... The woman in Cliffhanger, the raccoon, falls to his death. It's a it's a pretty funny parody. Along the way, you get Ace um, in a memorable bit that grossed everyone out in the theater when I saw this. Uh, chewed up food, 
in his mouth and spits it in the bird's mouth to, to feed him the baby bird as he climbs up. And, uh, and then, you know, they, but however, this doesn't have much to do with the story except that he has a breakdown and he joins a monastery. And you have a, a character, Fulton Greenwall, who is working for a, a fake African country of Nibia, who, who's been hired to get Ace Ventura to, to help solve this um, conflict between the Wachiti and the Wachutu tribes. Now, Fulton Greenwall is, um, he, he plays, it, the, the actor Ian McNeese plays it straight. And Ian McNeese I know best from uh, the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries Dune and Children of Dune. He played the Emperor Harkonnen. So that's uh, a bit of trivia for you. And um, he, he does a good job here. He plays it straight. He doesn't try to outdo Jim Carrey. Some other actors in this movie that attempt to outact Jim Carrey, and that doesn't work that well. And, uh, and, and anyway, the main conflict of the film is in uh, Nibia. You have the uh, Wachati tribe, which worships the great bat Shikaka. And uh, the Wachati tribe is going to bury the Wachutu prince, but the bat's gone missing, so they can't offer it as a dowry. And uh, this will cause great uh, warring between the tribes, and we can't have that happen, so Ace is on the case. He's also scared of bats, which is strange. You know, it shows him in the original film loving taking care of all animals. Even in this one, you have similar scenes where animals all rush to his rescue at the end. And uh, why is he scared of a bat? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe he should be scared of a raccoon, because that's what followed to his death in the beginning of the movie. It, it just does not make much sense. Um at all and seemed arbitrary and uh, but you know like like the first film Jim Carrey as Ace Ventura is, is crazy he uh, does a lot of imitations and this one he performs the, um, the Chitty Chitty Bane Bane number from the movie musical with uh, Rex Harrison I think and um, he does doesn't do like Sean Connery imitations as much but he just seems more uh, more off the cuff this seems less tightly scripted than, uh, than the original, and uh, you know, shortly after arriving to Nibia, Ace Ventura meets Vincent Cadby, who's played by Simon Callow. Uh, Simon Callow's been in lots and lots of uh, movies. He is a, uh, a British actor, and he, you know, he plays uh, Amadeus. In Amadeus, he plays Shikunator, who's one of the opera singers in that film. He was also in a room with a view. Um, he's been in. Uh, he was in the Street Fighter movie with Jean Claude Van Damme. He was in, um, I believe, the Phantom of the Opera movie. Yep, and uh, I mean all, all sorts of things. A lot of British stuff. A lot of uh, just, just a lot of TV stuff. Big big career. Um, done some Doctor Who episodes. He was the. Uh, Charles Dickens in some of those Christmas Doctor Who episodes uh, not too long ago. So you, you, you've seen him around. And as a bad guy, he's okay. He tries to out-act Jim Carrey, and that doesn't really work. He gets um, he gets excited. He, he he tries to stop, and, you know, sometimes when comedy bigger is better, but when you're, you have such a, a high-wattage uh, lunatic, and I mean that in the best way possible, is Jim Carrey uh, playing this crazy character, uh, you can't try to compete with that. I think you're better off sort of underplaying things like Ian McNeese does. So, as the, um, as it turns out, being the bad guy of the film, it's, he's just okay. 
So you have um, all these things going on. Uh, you know, a lot of the action involves Ace and, and the tribes. And it's a very stereotypical uh, African tribe thing. Um, you know, they make him go over hot coals. They make him do all these sort of trials. He, um, there are these sort of, it, it really goes from here to there. It's pretty random. There's, there's a strange scene where he's, he's trying to spy on, uh, on these, these bat hunters and, uh, he, he's inside this elaborate animatronic, uh, remote control rhino, but then he realizes he's locked in so he has to preach out the rear end and a family thinks that the rhino is giving birth even though you can see a human face poking through the, the end and you see a naked Jim Carrey slink out of the, uh, the rhino. It's, it's a funny scene, it's, it's dark, it's, it's weird, it, it doesn't, completely work. Um, also in the story, it's less of a mystery than the original. Uh, you eventually find out that um, the big value of uh, the tribes is that Cadby is stolen the bat because uh, the, the caves contain uh, guano, you know, bat shit, in other words, to sell as a fertilizer worth lots and lots of money to, to different entities. And so you, you you do get fun business with the uh, the animals all charging over the uh, the you know like the country club sort of center and the trucks and everything and uh, and yeah you also have sort of lame jokes where it's set up early in the film that the uh, gorillas are in mating season one of them ends up raping Vincent Cadby it's not graphic but it's just strange and out of nowhere and not not a great comeuppance for. Uh, for the character, um, and overall, I'd, I'd say the movie—it's PG-13, like the original, but this feels like a softer PG-13. Yes, you have gross and stuff, uh, but you know it's not about a murder. There's not uh, sex, really. There's masturbation jokes, but there's not—you know—he doesn't hook up with characters like he did in the first movie. Um, it's a less interesting story, less interesting characters. Everything just seems more cartoony and uh, and surface level, and. Um, it's it's not Jim Carrey's fault. He gives a a lot of energy to it. Um, you know, another some other actors in it that are well known is as uh, the Wachuchu Prince. You have Tommy Davidson, who was a, a cast member of In Living Color, who used to work with Jim Carrey. He has a, a funny scene with them. And in addition, you have uh, Bruce Spence is a, one of these hunters who's not used a whole lot in the movie, but Bruce Spence, you know, is perhaps best known as um, playing the uh, the gyro captain in uh, The Road Warrior and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And he also is in uh, was in the third Matrix movie as the train man. And he, he's been in all sorts of things. You'd, you'd absolutely recognize him if you would see him. So he's a gritty sort of Australian actor, and uh, it it's nice to see him in the film, but it's really sort of a nothing part. And, and Ace Ventura, pet de not pet detective, Ace Ventura, what nature calls. I would have to give this a, a sequel. No, it's it it's funny. There's some funny stuff, but it's not as uh, funny all the way through. There, there's less of a mystery, I think, which was a, a big appeal of the original and. Um, Jim Carrey as, as Ace Ventura in this film. Like, it's almost too much. Like, it tries too hard. 
and it's too loose. And uh, I really liked it when I was younger, but I don't think it holds up necessarily. Uh, so now let's listen to Thrasher's thoughts on Ace Ventura when nature calls. Thanks. Yeah, so this movie opens with like an action. It opens like an action movie, and what it opens with the ending of an action film where Ace Ventura is climbing a mountain, feeding baby birds along the way. But there's apparently a crashed plane on a mountaintop that was full of animals, and they had all been accounted for except for one raccoon that Ace is trying to save. And there's this adorable raccoon trapped on a cliff. And Ace does all this action movie stuff with grappling hooks and zip lines to rescue the raccoon. But as he's zip lining as he's, uh, the raccoon back uh, to solid ground, the raccoon's back, the raccoon's harness breaks, and the raccoon falls to its death. Which I was not expecting that raccoon to fall to its death. I, I was fully expecting this whole thing to turn out to be a dream sequence and Ace would wake up before the raccoon fell. But no, all this actually happened. A a raccoon died during an Ace Ventura mission. Well, that's something I want to talk to. This is one of the reasons this movie does not does not work for me, is that in the Ace is such an oddball. In the film, his eccentricities are thrown into sharp relief because he's the only oddball, crazy character in the whole movie. Everybody else plays it more or less straight. But in this movie, he's surrounded by cartoonish oddballs. So as a result, he has to be so extra annoying to try to outdo everyone around him. It really holds the film back. I mean, the original film, Ace is a cartoon character in the real world, in this movie, Ace is a badly drawn cartoon character in a world of cartoons. Well, it's clear that they don't like Ace being there. I mean, they know him as the guy who talks out of his butt. But like to, to make the, the, the monks celebrating joke is Ace shouldn't be walking through that celebration. Ace should leave the monastery and the moment the doors close, all the monks should burst out into celebration. That would be a nice contrast to see them at rest and then see them in motion. With the slinky gag... The slinky gag is brilliant in in principle. The thing that makes it not work in execution is Ace singing the slinky song as he follows it down the steps. Like, that, that's too over the top. It distracts from the gag. Although I do like that the slinky doesn't make it all the way down. It stops on the last step before the ground. <laughs> Well, actually, I want to talk about that. So uh, one of the set pieces he goes to, he decides to to investigate the rival tribe to see if they might have something to do with the, the bat going missing. And this is when we get we get the trials because he he puts he puts on a mask oddly reminiscent of the mask from the mask, but not entirely uh, gets gets caught. Now, the one thing I did like about that is just the absurdity. They don't notice that he they don't notice that he's not a member of their tribe until the mask comes off despite the fact that he's a skinny white guy <laughs> that i liked i wish that joke was a bit punched up but yeah so he has to do these 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 trials and it is all goofball dumb stuff but the highlight is he has to fight their champion and their champion is this little crazy dude played by tommy davidson and this the whole fight scene is such a glorious celebration of physical comedy between Jim Carrey and Tommy Davidson, who did work together on In Living Color. And, and uh, Davidson is a gifted physical comedian. Uh, if you remember the fight choreographer character he used to play on In Living Color, that man is ripped, and that man can do some amazing things with his body. 
Yeah, what it turns out is that the man who hired him, Vincent Cadby, he stole the bat because the tribal land is right on top of a network of bat caves full of guano. Guano is a very valuable resource. This is uh, this is the one thing the movie gets right. And so, Simon, uh, so uh, Vincent stole the bat specifically to instigate a tribal war so that both tribes would slaughter each other and then he could just move in and take the caves uh, and it would all be perfectly legal um, and so yeah so, that, so and like that's that's a pretty good that's like a pretty good crime that he's got going on that kind of makes a certain amount of sense that being said I have no idea why he didn't just kill the bat after he took it I don't know why the bat's alive other for screenwriting purposes um and then beyond that, it's like, well, if you need to hire a pet detective to provide cover to make yourself – to give yourself an alibi by looking like you're trying to solve this crime, maybe don't hire the best in the world? And this, and this is another kind of a loophole in the film. So when Ace, so early on when Ace kind of sized up Vincent Cadby, uh, one of the clues was a white stain on Cadby's shoe, um, which it turns out he thought was uh, cement residue from a mason, when in fact that was bat guano residue. Uh, and, that's, and he points that out, which makes me wonder, how long does Cadby go without wa- polishing his shoes if he stepped in guano? I'm trying to piece the timeline together. So the bats gotta be the bats gotta be stolen. Then they gotta figure out where Ace is. Then they gotta dispatch Greenwald, who has to take a, a truck, a safari truck, a plane, and a train, and go up those stairs to get to Ace. Convince Ace to leave. They gotta go down the stairs. Gotta take a train, a plane, and a safari thing backwards. Uh, I, I'm not the world's tidiest person, but I I would have I I I clean my shoes. regularly, regularly, especially if I've stepped in something. The husband leaves the tent and is screaming, my bride, she's not a virgin, and everybody turns to Ace. So I guess Ace had sex with her at some point in addition to masturbating over her and or about her, and it ends with both tribes chasing Ace. So I guess presumably the tribes are, maybe they will destroy each other afterwards after they're done killing Ace. And we end on this really bad freeze-frame Iris out as Ace is running from the tribes. Yeah, so I did want to, so the soundtrack is a veritable who who was of 90s music. So we have, uh, we have, uh, Spirits in the Material World, which plays over the credits, it's a duet between Pat and Banto and Sting. Well, I guess it's not a duet. I guess it might be more of a sample remix, but it's kind of got a reggae feel, which is pretty cool. But then we have a cover of Secret Agent Man by Blues Traveler, Don't Change by the Goo Goo Dolls, uh, Bull Weevil by Presidents of the United States of America, Blur the Technicolor by White Zombie, Watusi Rodeo, which is an outlier. That's by Reverend Horton Heat, although he is fucking awesome. Uh, Burning Rubber by Mr. Moringa, uh, let's see, Montel Jordan's Jungle Groove. Uh, let's see, Matthew, My Pet by Matthew Sweet, who is an awesome guitar player, by the way. He's most famous at the time for uh, his music video for the song Girlfriend, which used footage from the anime space adventure Cobra. But the only authentically African thing in this movie, which is a song that plays during the trials montage, is uh, Ife by Angelique Kijo, who is who's sort of a diva in Africa. She was at one of Africa's number one pop stars. She still performs today. 
that song is amazing and she's got some really cool music videos i fell in an, into an angelique uh kijo wormhole while trying to track that song down wow. 